Welcome back to the Early Way In Podcast. This week we break down UFC Vegas 76 and sort of a strange main event raking-wise, if I'm being honest with you. You know, you got Sean Strickland, who's solidified himself at the top of the middleweight division now, taking on just a one-fight UFC veteran here in Abus Magomedov. Uh, our co-main event, extremely high-level fight at 155. Lines close to a pick as well. We've got Demiris Magulov fighting Grant Dawson. It's a total of 12 fights on the card at the moment. Some real sneaky good fights. Uh, and as always, we're going to talk the best fights and our favorite bets on the card. So make sure to do us a quick favor. Like the video. Takes two seconds to do so. Uh, sub to the channel if you guys haven't ever before. As far as last week goes, it was a was a mixed bag of results for the podcast. You got me in the casual cap this week. Uh, and, you know, what do you know? I mentioned it last week and disagreement in the prop section. I had the under one and a half in uh, the peak fight, and you had Mariscal by decision, which ends up changing your night. Uh, for me personally, though, man, I did start off almost five units in the hole uh, and still was not still was not a good night for me, but I did claw my way back uh, to, to a manageable loss. Um, before we get into this week, I'll, I'll do you the honors of seeing how we finished up for UFC Jacksonville. Yeah, like you said, you, you started off the night – uh, rough. I know it wasn't looking pretty at first. You, the first fight of the night was Cody Brundage. Um, you had the under two and a half rounds in that fight and Cody Brundage. Um, it was, it was just low level. And you talked about you at least being able to get almost pickums whenever you originally played Cody Brundage. And as far as CLV goes, I think you did your job as a capper. Um, and, and with those kind of fights, variants, you know, there, there's a lot of things that's going to happen in a Cedric Dumas fight. And even though he won that, he's looking like a future fade to me. Um, your other your other straight bet was Neil Magny against Phil, Phil Rowe. You had that for two units. Um, another probably a little bit closer than you'd like it to be. But uh, right. it, it was exactly kind of what we were talking about. Neil Magny just being able to um, just do a little, just do enough, just do a little bit more, show that veteran experience to get the nod on the judges scorecards. And uh, I'm thankful he did get the nod on the judges scorecards. I do think he won. Um, you touched on the Trevor Peak, Jose Marisal. You had uh, the under one and a half and the under two and a half. Um, that was a rock'em sock'em robot fight, man. I mean, there were plenty of opportunities for it to finish. Um, I, I think Trevor Peak's chin might have been the the MVP of that fight, man. Right. Like he took some shots that I don't think anybody should be able to take. Um, and then you had uh, a couple of violence plays to end the night. And the Brendan Allen, Bruno Silva under two and a half rounds, minus 180. And uh, the David Onama, Gabriel Santos fight doesn't go the distance at minus 170. Both those um, won a little bit of that back. And he ended up tonight only minus 2.36 units. Um, somewhat manageable from from uh, where it started originally, Absolutely. for sure. Uh, looking over at my card, uh, we'll start off with my first straight bet of the night was David Onama. Uh, plus 190 against Gabriel Santos. Uh, great, great play, great value. Um, Onama, there are some like huge concerns moving forward with him, uh, with his head movement and just, uh, you know, overall, it just takes too much damage. Um, but at, at plus 190, I thought it was a good, good play at, um, against Gabriel Santos, who was still kind of unproven at the time. Um, that was a, a nice cash. My two other straight bets of the night both missed. I had Wellington Terman at plus 200. I had one and a half units on him. Another one where I, I think that that was a good play. Uh, the thing that was not good about it is it did not play out how I capped it. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't expect the kickboxer Wellington Terman to go out there and, uh, you know, out try almost outpoint Randy Brown. Um, he put up a really good fight for a plus 200. So I'm, yeah. I'm okay with the bet. Um, my next one was Trevor Peak, uh, just straight up. I had 1.2 units on him. Um, I said I was going to do this during the podcast. I ended up not doing it as hard. I originally said I was going to put um, a couple units on Trevor Peak and then a full unit on the Maricel by decision. I ended up kind of scaling that back a little bit. I only ended up putting um, a quarter unit on the Maricel by decision. So that ended up hedging. Um, after that fight played out and Maricel won the decision, I ended up only profiting 0.5 off of that play. Um, then I also had uh, another kind of hedge spot. You chose the violence and, and under two and a half. And then I, I chose the ways that wanted that these fighters were going to win. You know, right. it was either Silva by TKO or Allen inside the distance um, every time. Uh, just a different way to play it. But we ended up both profiting pretty good on that fight. Um, I ended up the night 0.8 units. Um, 
not not going to be able to buy me a Lamborghini or anything like that. Nice <laughs> little profit for sure. Absolutely. Um, we move on to the main event. Very interesting matchup. The UFC has given us to be the headliner here. Um, it's in the middleweight division, and it you know it's tough to tell what's happening here. Are they trying to punish Sean Strickland, or are they setting him up for success here? Uh, they've matched him up with a somewhat unknown. Certainly to the casual fan, somewhat unknown Dagestani fighter and Abus Magomedov, um, who in his past fights get, has given quite a bit of evidence in other organizations that he's a very solid fighter with um, a, a good striking game. And, um, you know, we got to see that in his in his debut uh, against mm-hmm. Dustin Stolfis, where he was able to score that 19 second win. Certainly would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of them, but I don't think that you could ask for a much better performance from a debutante. Um, Like I said, we did get to see that kicking game a little bit, but I do think that it's his hands that are usually the most dangerous part of his game. Um, He likes to kind of jump in with his shots. He kind of level changes to get a reaction out of the fighters and then almost lunges in. And he has this ability to cover a significant amount of distance when he is striking at range. And if he's not throwing those straight shots, then he's feeding you something up the middle, whether it's, um, you know, like that the up kick that he landed on Dustin Stolzfus or um, that lead uppercut similar to Hamzat Chemaev, you know. Um, he, he definitely shows aspects of other um, Russian-bred fighters, you know. There are some foundational Russian characteristics of his fighting game, even though he's not exactly a wrestler by any means. Um, Sean, almost the exact opposite striking game. Uh, You know, he stands uh, very straight up, has that cocksucker hand stance. You know, we (laughs) talked about he kind of chooses to overwhelm fighters just with that constant forward pressure and throwing his punches at like 70 percent power. You know, he's got a very unique style that where he he does like an excellent job of conserving his energy, putting up good volume. Um, and, and it's because he's not throwing everything in uh, into his strikes, knowing that he's a 185 pound man. If one of those land clean, he does have the ability to knock somebody out. Right. Um, when it comes down to the wrestling, I do think it'll be kind of a null point. Uh, I don't see this fight uh, taking place anywhere other than the feet. Um, I do think um, I would immediately assume that Abus's pure wrestling game might be a little bit more polished um, coming out of Dagestan, even though you know that's a part of his game that he kind of chooses to ignore yeah. for the most part. He'll throw him in every once in a while, but a lot of the times it's him trying to get back up to his feet and showcase his striking. Um, and then Sean, he's a competent grappler himself. He's sporting an 85% takedown defense. Um, so I don't think either guy is holding a significant advantage um, you know, and, and like I said before, I don't think that either guy are going to be looking to spend their energy working to get this fight to the mat. Um, so even with the lack of UFC experience, I do find myself kind of leaning to the Abus side. You know, I know Sean is the type of guy to fight anyone, anywhere, and that's sometimes to his detriment. I think he drew a really tough matchup here against Abus. Um, I expect a, a super high paced fight, especially in those early rounds um, with somebody coming out on top. I think the finishing upside on a boost with his power, um, you know, might make me find a play later on in the week. Um, I'm interested to hear what you think. Cause I'm, I'm kind of on the fins. I just need a little nudge. Yeah. So you said it's interesting at the, at the beginning of it. And it is uh, when you look at why they made this fight, a lot of questions here. And I, I went back to an interview I found of Sean and he says, really just, just wanted to stay active. And it seems like the UFC him a couple extra you know a couple extra dollars to take this fight but standing back and looking at it it does seem that they're trying to maybe push a boost in this spot um you know strickland since moving up to 185 i think he i think he's shown a lot of success uh in a title eliminator with perea uh you know and likely could have been next up in line had he gotten the nod against cannoneer there uh you talked about him real fundal fundamental basic kind of style uh he's just Real good with forward pressure, man. You know, has a good jab. And like you talked about, 70%. He doesn't really load up on anything. It's just constantly peppering that volume at you. Um, but it's it's nothing unorthodox about the guy. There's a jab and there's a right hand, and that's about all that he really throws. Um, you know, you say a boost could have the grappling upside here. 
I kind of lean the other way while I, I think it's completely null and void. I think the one who might show the offensive wrestling is maybe Sean later in this fight um, as maybe, you know, if the cardio is starting to take a toll um, on a boost, I think some takedowns could, could find some success for Sean. And I think the cardio is kind of what I keep going back to because it, it's something that I, I know is there for Sean. You know, the guy's activities is a massive thing that he's got going for him. He's been in multiple 25 minute fights lately. Whereas, you know, a boost has shown me 19 seconds in the cage in the last three years. And so one thing I can go back to is, is Sean will be there for 25 minutes if he's not put away and he will be throwing the same volume. He will have the same forward pressure. His jab and right hand still going to be there. Where I don't know if Abus's tools are going to be at 100% in the championship rounds. Uh, this guy's just one fight into the UFC um, tenure. And I was massive on him to beat Dustin Stolzfus. Um, and while this is a massive step up in competition, you know, the guy handled D- Dustin Stolzfus just like he wanted to. He talked about him coming out of KSW, experience in PFL. Um, he did almost, he fought for a million dollars in 2018 against Luis Taylor, where he got, he got KO'd badly in, in like 30 seconds. And while by I'm not a weird one to, shot, a glancing blow weird shot, almost. Exactly. And I'm not, I'm not one to say that that is indicative of him having a bad chin or anything. It's not, you know, but I do think that he is a very front loaded guy. I think he's a lot more dangerous early in this fight. You, you see a lot of his finishes coming in rounds one or two. The guy's only been to, to decision, what, I think six times in his 30 fight career. To me, he reminds me a lot of a Nasser Dinamovov, who Sean just beat. It's, it's one of these guys who can swap stances and one of these guys who are one of these like sniping boxers at range and throw good kicks. But put a lot of energy into the shots. And, you know, if Sean's still there come rounds three, four, and five, you know, I, I can guarantee that I think he's going to have the better output and a better gas tank at there. So if he drags it to the championship rounds, I, I really start to heavily favor him. Um, but it is very tempting for me to look at a boost at plus money with all the finishing upside I see on him. Cause that's something that's always tempting to me as an underdog, you know? So I'm torn. I wish I could nudge you on either side. Um, but as the line does creep down with the gas tank and the competition edge, I see a minus 140 out there implying like 58%. And there is a world where I think Sean could look 60 plus um, if it gets late. But I also think there's a world where a boost just starches him early and looks like he should have been the clear favorite. So I'm ultimately going to stay off. Uh, middleweight fights constantly go into decision. Abu's got the big shots. He got the volume of Sean, who's already been screwed, kind of like in the Cannoneer fight where he lands more shots on paper, but just not as powerful shot in the judge's eyes. So I'm a bit torn, um, but for the purposes of a pick, I'm going to be on the other side with Sean Strickland, man. As far as co-main event goes, very, very good fight. Demir Ismagulov taking on Grant Dawson at 155. Uh, and it's receiving a ton of action, man. Uh, you know, originally in the week, I, I saw a lot of people like myself on the Demir side. And, you know, as the week has progressed, that minus 150s dropped down to a minus 110 with a lot of love coming in on Grant Dawson. And the one worry for me, the both these guys come out of American Top Team, and maybe there is some inside info um, on the Demir side or on the Grant Dawson side that, you know, is the reason for this money. Um, but I also think there's a possibility that people are, are capping some intangibles of retirement and motivation into this fight. And and while I told you I can kind of, you know, I can put that into the case for guys like Emmett last week who are closer to 40 than they are 35 who have, you know, coming off a title shot loss, getting matched up with one of these, you know, like undefeated prospects like Ilya Taporia. It's easy for me to cap that into, into them. But for a guy who's only 32 years old, it's not as easy for me here. I, I actually think the retirement talk could have could have been more like a spur of the moment. I know the guy wasn't feeling well coming into the Armin fight, it seemed like. Uh, and I think he's just kind of, you know, upset, man. It's like 18-fight win streak got snapped. He knows he's going to have to go through Armin again eventually to get to the belt. And, and he got clinicked, man. He got 30-27. It's almost worse than getting starched early when you just get dominated for 15 minutes. And I, th- I think mentally it, it might have set him back a little bit. But as far as skill for skill, man, I, I don't know how you really can't come out on the side of Demir's Magulov. 
This guy, um, about as tested as it gets in his UFC run so far, taking no easy fights. Joel Alvarez, Tiago Moises, Guram, Armin. I mean, this is high, high-level stuff in the UFC's most dangerous division. The guy's a very sharp striker. Um, as far as boxing goes, he's one of the best pure boxers in the UFC. Might have the best jab in the UFC and a, a long reach at 155 to use it. You look at Guram's face when the fight is over, and he has tore him up with the jab. The guy's got a good left hook. And one thing that I like about him as well is he uses that reach to kind of make guys pay for shots when you exit out of the clinch or when you when you shoot a sloppy takedown entry and he and he's able to force you away. He uses that reach to catch guys with his left hooks when we you know when they think they're at a safe range. Um, and when I watch back the Armin fights, the Guron fights this week, there are takedown attempts that both of those guys are deep on, man. And Demir is still able to defend them. Um, and it makes me it makes me confident here because Grant has to wrestle to win. I do not think there's a chance he wins this fight if he is stuck striking with Demir. I I mean, plain as day, Demir's the better striker, um, and Grant does not have the best striking defense. What he does have a good single leg, a good rear naked choke. He's good at taking the back, setting in the body triangle. He kind of reminds me of like a lightweight Aljamain Sterling to an extent. Um, and I think the move to American top team was the best thing he could have done for his career, if I'm being honest with you. And, and the Madsen and Gordon fights, maybe they were a step in the right direction. But but now we're talking about a guy in Demiris Magulov who's not an aging grappler, who's a much more different style, and a guy who can really pose you issues on the feet. The Leonardo Santos, the Ricky Glenn fights, they haven't escaped my memory. Um, I'm big on Demir him, on Demir here in this spot. Um I cap him around 60, 65%. So I'm on that pick of money line, man. Yeah, I think um, I might end up finding the spot with you there, uh, especially if that line continues to to come down. Um, you voiced a lot of the concerns that I think most, most people have. Uh, the biggest one being that these two guys are at completely different points in their career. Uh, Grant Dawson hasn't even thought of the word retirement and Demir's actually saying it. And although it, you know, it, it sucks that, that has to be part of capping it it does it does there's obvious regression whenever somebody mentions the r word and uh you know we've seen that throughout the ufc um and especially in like the last decade um as far as the level of competition i would definitely agree that demir has proven that he is um able to hang with the better um of better competition that being said it sucks that even at the very best of Demir's game, he cannot find a finish. He's, his last 10 fights have all come by decision. And, you know, at least this time we're not having to lay juice on him. So that's nice. But it's still not something that I like to see on somebody that I'm going to go super heavy on when they're not able to, you know, finish the fight on their own terms. I like it when that's at least an option. Um, so it kind of reminds me of like, you know, <laughs> a different world, but Zalgis Dumagulov, you know, there's Little a world, but, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just, but, but just somebody who at the end of the day, their entire record has been put into the judge's hands. And, um, you know, it, it, there, there are a bunch of fights that could have gone different ways for Demiris Magulov. And we, we could be getting a, a really nice plus price tag if he didn't win that that split decision over Guram, you know? Um, there are other worlds where Grant Dawson, at, at this point in his life, mo- making that move to AT&T, he has refined those parts of his game that were lacking beforehand. Um, as far as what Demir has shown in his game, that gives me the biggest cause for concern. If, if uh, Grant Dawson is able to take him down, uh, Demir does like to give his back, and that's the honey. That's the honey. That's the go-to move for Grant Dawson. Um, I think that he has much. He's much more uh, willing to lock up a body triangle and ride out around than Armin Saryukin was. Armin Saryukin's looking for that finish. Um, where I think Grant Dawson, at this point in his career, he's trying to get a win here. You know, he he's put together some really good wins. All of them, uh, or three, his last, uh, three wins by third round finish. And that's something that I like, you know, that means that he's, even though 
<laughs> a lot of them were close. He was subject to lose that Leonardo Santos fight. I know that he wasn't actually losing on the judges' scorecards, but in everybody else's mind, he was losing that fight. Um, but, you know, three third-round finishes, um, that's evidence that he carries the power into the later rounds. He it carries the danger into the later rounds. And um, he at least has the option to uh, finish this fight before it sees the judges' scorecards, which I think is is really what I'm struggling with, with um, laying more than a, a unit on, on Demiris Magulov here, even though I completely agree with you as far as the skill set, overall MMA skill set. I think Demir, um, you know, hits, uh, he's an all around fighter and uh, Grant Dawson does have some obvious holes in his game. So um, I'm, I'm with you that Demiris Magulov is, is the side here. And as that line continue, continues to lower, um, I might end up finding a spot myself, just him being surely the, the better fighter here. All right. Um, for my fight of the night, we are going to the welterweight division where we see Max Griffin taking on Michael Morales. Um, absolute banger that they're putting here in the, in the featured bout um, on the card. Max is a UFC veteran and uh, Michael Morales, one of the more promising undefeated prospects climbing his way up the ranks. Morales, he's 14-0 with his um, last win coming in round three in this uh, back-and-forth fight with Adam Fujit, where two of the judges actually gave, gave Fujit that first round. Um, and, you know, I was impressed with his ability to withstand some of those early troubles, finding his groove, um, and then, you know, eventually finding those finishing shots 11 minutes into the fight. Um, you know, prior to that contender series debut he had, he was steamrolling opponents, um, finishing them all by round one or two stoppage. Um, and, you know, he's kind of always been uh, physically extremely gifted, just an incredible physique for the division. And, you know, you saw on the regional tape, it seemed like he always held a significant size advantage, which only helped him dominate in those opponents. Um, but, you know, now he's he's drawn Max Griffin. Max Griffin's four and one in his last five fights. Um, Max Griffin has more UFC fights than Michael Morales has professional fights. And I think that fact alone is a, is a huge factor in breaking down this fight, man. You know, I, I really do think that Max is the perfect fighter to extend this fight um, with Morales, force him to use some new techniques in order to, to win the fight because you know, Max is not somebody that gets overwhelmed early in a fight. Um, he's actually got a legendary chin if you look over his record. Um, I do think that his striking is good enough to hang with anybody in the division for 15 minutes. He might not win, but I think he can hang with anybody for 15 minutes. Um, and I'm doubtful that Morales is going to be any different. So while Morales has the youth, the momentum, all that kind of stuff, I, I, I do think that he could be running into the biggest test of his career. And I, I would be, well, I am willing to put money on that uh, Max Griffin will cover his price tag on Saturday. I do think that he's going to give him a much closer fight than these odds are, are saying. This is an incredible fight. Um, I do think there's a world uh, where Michael Morales gets his spark some early, you know, um, I, I do. I don't think that's out of the possibility, but I, I do think this turns into an absolute dog fight, man. Uh, you talked about Max, the, the guy's historically as durable as they come and just has a way of forcing, forcing a slugfest out of guys and extending these fights. And I think it, I do think as well that he's going to test the newcomer, their young guy and, and Michael Morales, uh, good boxing. He's shown sneaky power at times. Max throws a good leg kick. <laughs> Michael Morales doesn't check leg kicks for shit when you go back and watch his tape. Um, Morales, I personally don't have the best read on him, but I do think he's got potential to be a dangerous prospect. Um, you know, I really do. Like you talked about his frame, just great frame for the division. You look at him online, the guy looks to be in just stupid shape. Looks like Usada never visits his house. Um, and, and at the 23 years old that he is, a year off in between these fights, there's there's potential for just massive improvements for a guy like this. Um, and really to an extent in his first UFC to a uh, first two UFC fights, he's kind of been tested, man. You know, Trevin Giles called him early in that fight with a big right hand, hurt him, 
recovers, ends up finding the finish himself a couple minutes later. You know, Fujit, like you said, up on the judges' scorecards in round one, drags him and laid into a fight, lands good shots of his own. Michael takes him, finds a late finish. It's things you like to see in a 23-year-old who's undefeated. Um, he likes to hit that step back counter right, uh, right hand. He's got a long, like really long jab, man. When he, uh, when him and Trevin Giles split and he just like lunges into that drat, the jab that just, you know, that eventually folds Giles. It's, uh, it's almost like Demir, man. He, he really has a long reach for the division and catches guys off guard. Um, but there, he looks so good when he does something, but there's just, there's times where he doesn't do much, man. And I think anybody who's willing to lead the dance with him and not scared of his power and willing to get the volume in his face, I think they could be live, man. Um, Morales is the pick, but at, at, at this price tag, it's dog or pass. And I'd be much more inclined to bet Max Griffin than to lay the juice on Michael Morales. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, Michael Morales is subject to get fraud checked here, man. Um, looking just re-looking over at his record, I, if he doesn't find a knockout uh, early, like you said, he could be in some trouble for sure. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, move on to the heavyweight division for my fight of the night: Alexander Romanov versus Blago Ivanov. Man, nothing better than a sloppy heavyweight fight, um, you know. And uh, UFC. They just love to put him on their on their main cards, and after a main card that was killer last week, we we get the eye poke and low level heavyweights, and hopefully this one's kept on the prelims where it belongs, man. But it's an interesting one, and it's a somewhat clash of styles. You know, Romanov brings a pretty unique uh, like skill set to the heavyweight division. There's not a lot of guys who are just all out wrestlers the way he is, and you know, in this matchup, man, he's going to be younger, he's going to be taller, he's going to have the longer reach. I think he's a clear better athlete. But he's sort of a busted prospect to me at this point. You know, the guy doesn't show much on the feet. He has to wrestle to win his fights, and he doesn't really show me that he has the gas tank to do that longer than really for for five minutes for a round. And it's like, you know, sure, you can beat Rocky Martinez, Chase Sherman, Jared Vandera, but you take any step up in competition, and it looks bad. You know, gassing badly against Espino and Tibera after round one of having some success, and then you proceed – to get Alexander Volkov. It is the UFC is doing you a favor. You lose the Tibera fight and you're getting an even better fight because the UFC likes you. And you're saying that the Volkov fight was better than Tibera? Yeah, I, I would say though. So. Not performance wise, but as far as like what it does for your career, absolutely. Oh, okay, okay. Not an easier yeah. fight, but no, no, no. Like it would better, much better name for him. It's like, gotcha. you know you lose to Tiberia, you'd think Tiberia would be fighting Volkov. And it's like, no, they give Romanov, you know, a step up in competition. And the guy shows up 30 pounds heavier than he did against Tiberia. And he has one takedown in him and he folds over it. It truly, man, it like, it was he a Braxton Smith. Rocky Martin, <laughs> it was a Braxton Braxton Smith type of performance for me, yeah, man. Yeah. He had he had a minute and a half of gas tank. Um, you know, but in front of him, Blagoy as a guy who's closer to 40 than he is 30. I know, I know you can get away with that at heavyweight, but the guy's got a ton of uh, fight miles on him. Heaven forbid I leave out the fact he's been stabbed and survived that. Uh, but you know, he's a guy at heavyweight. You, you kind of mentioned it with Demir, man. You know, even a heavyweight, he's never finding a finish. He's not much of a finishing threat. And as bad as Alexander Romanov is, gas tank wise i'm not impressed with the gas tank of blago ivanov either you know he's the one who really tries to slow these fights down um land a takedown or two of his own find some cage control he's a very low output guy and just lets his opponents back into these fights man they're always close and he just sometimes doesn't do enough um when i go back and try to watch blago's career and how he handles this style of fight there's not a lot of guys on his record no. that he's fought that bring the style of fight, you know, and uh, you look at Alexander Volkov submitting him back in the day, but you go back and watch that fight and, and Blago is holding Volkov on the fence for seven minutes, goes for one bad takedown and the length of Volkov just kind of reverses the takedown, gets the back and the rear naked choke. And then the only other takedown he's given up, it's in round three against Tibera. And while I, it's late in the fight. 
but it did come easy. And and when he got put on his back, there was not a lot there that he showed me as far as getting back to his feet. If I've ever seen Romanov put on a even a 10-minute wrestling clinic that I could think he could – an eight-minute wrestling clinic that he could bank two rounds here, I think I would be all over the line. But the fact is I got to see the guy weigh in first, and I just don't know if he can win a solid two rounds with the wrestling. Um, I'm going to pick Romanov. I think the guy's got a ton of pressure on him. Um, but I am going to pick him, man. Um, and if he shows up good at weigh-ins, I might bet him. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, dude. No, I, I was about to dive into Blagoy Ivanov hasn't ever fought anybody like Romanov, dude. I don't even think, you know, I mean, just look at the, the type of guys that he's fighting. This hasn't even been an aspect of the game that he's had to pay attention to in the last decade. You know, right. even the Volkov fight, it's um, it's the child Volkov. It's not the Volkov. It's the Stingray Volkov, not the scary <laughs> math Volkov, you know? Um, so he's, I don't know, dude. I think Romanov round one is the play, dude. Like, I, I think uh, he's given us enough reason in the past to, he he doesn't have much after round one. And I don't think that he's going to ha- find the motivation to get in enough shape to, somehow overcome his gas tank issues you know i think that just like uh trying to think randy costa or like a few other guys who know well i can't i can't get my cardio up to that to that level my best chances terrence mckinney there we go Uh, my best chances are early in the fight so i'm gonna sell out for a finish early in the fight and then if the going gets tough, I'll quit. I'll tap out. I'll do whatever. And I really do think that Romanov is more than happy to uh, test the takedown defense of Blagoy early, try and get that early submission, just sell out for something, whether it's just pushing down on his neck with his forearm or actually getting a, a you know a um, technical submission. Like I, I do think that uh, he's big enough and Blagoy small enough in the heavyweight division that early. Um, he is going to have a super big strength advantage and Blagoy might not move as well as he used to in, in this older age. And um, he's finally got a stylistic matchup that I th- could be tough for him, you know? So I'm with you. I think I'm on the Romanov side. I think I'm looking at Romanov um, obviously inside the distance. There's no way I'm playing him straight, honestly. It's, it's either inside the distance or it's round one for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's an excellent fight to fight of the night to pick. Um, should be fireworks for sure. Moving on to the fighter section of the podcast. Um, Kevin Lee is who I chose as my fighter, mm-hmm. man. Started his career as one of the more promising prospects in the lightweight division when he came into the UFC all the way back in 2014 at only 22 years old. Um, he was cut from the organization in 2021 after his loss to Daniel Rodriguez and immediately picked up by a prestigious Russian-led organization where they threw him to the wolves against one of their most dangerous fighters on the roster, Diego Sanchez. The nightmare. But no, <laughs> but no for real. You know, you got to look at this one, in my opinion, as somebody in Kevin Lee who got cut from the UFC and essentially took a couple years off Um under 30 years old to to round out his game and to recover from the the injuries that he's suffered his entire career in the UFC. And I, I do think that it's finally given him the time to where we have the potential of seeing a completely new Kevin Lee on Saturday. You know, I do think that right now in his career, he has as much experience as you could ask for. Um, at the UFC level, you know, I, I look at how he ended his UFC career going one and four. And the only fight that he won was when he was, was the, also the only fight that he was an underdog in his last five against Gregor Gillespie with one of the most insane highlight reel head kicks I've ever seen. And, you know, it, it shows you that the potential is there. He has the ability to, um, you know, I think beat anybody on any given day. Um, but it, it just, you know, it's, it's which Kevin Lee is going to show up. Like I said, he's already got the high level, more high level experience than 90% of the roster with 18 UFC fights. 
Um, you throw in all the injuries that he's overcome and to only be 30 years old, um, it's got to feel surreal to him for having this second chance to, to try and earn a belt. Um, and what many people would, would agree is his absolute prime years of fighting. Um, so all that being said, it was an easy choice making him my fighter to watch coming back into the UFC. Um, so yeah, Kevin Lee for my fighter to watch. I think he's got a, a tough one against Renat, um, who you might be talking about later on in the podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I don't bring him back up, but uh, just because I made the bet on him just earlier, you know, just a couple minutes ago. But uh, Renat Fakradinov, I, I do think he's got Kevin Lee's number here. Kevin's like a he's like a front loaded fighter, um, kind of like a boost, you know, like you see him have success early against Charles Oliveira, Tony Ferguson, both, but. The wheels always fall off for Kevin for Kevin Lee at some point. Um, I don't like him at welterweight. You know, I think he re-injured his knee against Diego Sanchez, showing me that the injuries are still nagging. They're still there. And I, I just think the guy's best days are behind him, and I don't think they've done him any favors uh, with this matchup here. As far as fighters to watch for me, I'm going to go with Guram Kutateladze. Uh Hopefully third time's a charm for the guy. You know, injuries or visa issues have forced him out of his last two fights, but he's, you know, part of this Georgian wave making some noise right now. Inclu- everybody, including myself, man, uh, I got high hopes for this guy. You know, I think he's very talented. The skill set's there. You see him training with Hamzat. Uh, the guy's fault, Gamrot, Mateus Gamrot, Demiris Magulov in his first two fights. He's one and one. You could probably flip both of those fights as far as results wise, but he's he's still one and one. Uh, the guy the guy is a very good fighter, man. He he's a really good striker. Tons of nasty kicks. He just switches levels. Very diverse. Throws a lot of weapons at you inside the clinch. He's got really good knees, good elbows on the exit, and the guy is you know shown two submission losses, I believe, early in his career. But looking at him now, man, the guy is hard to hold down. The moment it, the moment he hits the ground, he is constantly working to get back to his feet. Um, he does have a lot of, like, a taxing style of fighting with all the kicks, the energy, the bouncing around. In the third round, he does tend to slow down a little bit. But as far as this matchup goes, this guy's got all the tools to beat Elvis Brenner here on Saturday. Um He's just got a ton of hype on him, a ton of pressure to come through here. He's a big underdog, uh, but, man, I'm excited for Guram to get back in action. Um, I do think he's a top 20 and top 15 lightweight. Uh, He's my fighter to watch this week. Nice. I like it. I like it. Um, hmm. So kind of struggling to find a legit underdog. As I've talked about, I I like Abus. That's an underdog that I'm leaning towards, and um, we kind of already – talked about uh max griffin as well as my as my two dogs that i really like so i'm gonna give uh, a third one and uh it's gonna be yana santos and I, I think that we're gonna agree on or disagree on this one um but yeah it's yana santos strictly because i think that she can implement the same game game plan that norma dumont did um, when i think of yana santos i think of cage pushing like same way i think of uh, marcin tibura Cage pushing is a part of her game, and uh, Carol Rosa has subjected herself to that her entire career. And I do think that Yana is a big girl for the division. Um, Carol Rosa is probably going to be at a size disadvantage, and um, simply Carol Rosa being a minus one seventy right now, it's just it's tough. I mean, it's moving up too. So like you can sit on the Santos line and maybe get like a plus one sixty. I, I think that this there's no way that Rosa wins this more than 60% of the time. So if that line starts to get out of hand, I I do think that Yana Santos, um, it just being a girl fight, her having the type of style that Carol Rosa has failed against in the past. um, I think that she's, she's more than enough to be qualified for my underdog of the card. I gotcha. Yeah. So I do disagree with you, um, but I, but I understand the concerns um, and that's why, um, uh, while I do cap Carol Rosa uh, around a 60 65% favorite, it's just a one unit play at minus 155 because of the cage control. Uh, Norma's, Norma DeMont's a big girl, man. And, and Yana, Yana Santos is coming up here to featherweight on short notice. Um, I think the cage control, I don't know how much success she could be. While she may still be the taller girl, I don't know how much physically stronger she'll be in the clinch here. And at range, man, Carol Host is very easy to get behind with landing 100 significant strikes, knockdowns, things like that. So uh, 
cage control is is the one understand I, I understand where it is and it's a it's a women's fight man it kind of leads into this next one for me uh the underdog section i think is my favorite section of the podcast uh like regardless of if i don't pull the trigger on it like jack jenkins and charles Oliveira, or i'm like screaming to the rooftop to bet Zhao nan and nicholas dalby uh i really really like this section of the podcast this week there I, I i think i struggled more than any other week um but i did find someone on here that has cashed a dog ticket for us before against a similar skill set of opponent before as well, man. And I'm going to go with Luana Carolina. Um, you can get her at plus 185. You know, the girl's a – she's three and three. She's a six-fight UFC veteran at this point. And it's not the worst competition, man. Joanne Wood's on there. Molly McCann's on there. Lupe Godinez, a, a prominent wrestler, is on there. Um, and she's a decent Muay Thai striker. She fights long. She's real good in the clinch. I think she's got some decent takedown defense. And if this fight goes late, I think there's a cardio edge for her there. Luana is – she's nothing special by no means. The girl's never even going to touch the top 15. But when I look at her opponent and Ivana Petrovic, like watching a regional tape, man, it's low-level girls to begin with, but I'm, I'm not impressed. I think the girl's just an average wrestler – um, I, I don't think she finds the same success with the wrestling. I don't think she finds the same success getting on top, finding the same finishes. And it's kind of like Grant Dawson, man. I think she's in another spot where she has to wrestle to win. And if she doesn't wrestle, there's no way she covers this price tag and, and, and might even lose. The striking is, is a work in progress. Um, she's got really good size, and that is the one concern. But she looks kind of slow. Um, so the experience, the cardio, the speed, the striking edge, I do think there's areas of this fight that make Luana Carolina a bit live. Um, just throw in the fact that we see these debuting women drop the ball at a big price tag all the time. Jacqueline Amarim comes, comes to mind for me against Sam Hughes. When you look at the Jacqueline Amarim girl, apparently she is just mopping girls at ATT on the mat, man, and comes in there and you know, blows her wad against Sam Hughes early. And I think there's potential for something like that again here with Petrovich. So I'm going to go with Luana Carolina from underdog this week. I like it. I like it for, um, for my prop of the week, um, kind of going back to the well, uh, same as last week, I had Jose Marisal as a, uh, by decision, he was a dog already. And then, you know, you get, his decision prop at a much better price. This is very similar. It's Max Griffin by decision. Um, we have yet another undefeated prospect, and Michael Morales has yet to taste a defeat. And I do, like I said earlier, I think Max Griffin has a, a perfect style to drag this fight out. Um, I don't think that Michael Morales has the grappling game to be able to get the fight um you know control max griffin on the mat i think in the stand-up game um I, I touched on it already max griffin can stand with just about anybody for 15 minutes i do think that he has the more polished striking game of the two and certainly has proved that he has uh or proven his striking game at a higher level michael morales subject to get fraud checked you know he he came in as a dog on the contender series and now he's a significant favorite against Max Griffin, the first real test that he's had to to go up against. And I, I yeah, I don't count Officer Giles as a true first test. I really, I really don't. I think uh, this 15 fight veteran and Max Griffin, who constantly wins by decision, um, is a perfect opponent to to drag him out, put him into deeper waters than he's used to, and uh, kind of expose some of the holes in his game that I'm sure that he has, being as young as he is and having never tasted defeat. Um, yeah. So he's either about to prove to me that he is a legitimate prospect or uh, Max Griffin, I think, could give him the vet lesson and, and cash this prop bet for me at plus 450. I dig it, man. Um, I think that's an excellent spot to look at. I'm going to go with another decision prop for uh, my prop section. I'm going to go with Ismail Bonfine by decision at plus 200. I think it's a lot better way to get uh, the minus 350 down. Um, the Bonfim brothers, they look legit to me, man. Uh, their their skill set is there. The boxing in tight, fundamental, looks good. They're great grapplers as well. Just very, very well-rounded and very experienced. Uh, 22 pro fights for Ismail before coming on to the Contender Series. The guy's patient already. He's not one of these guys that are – 
you know, 6-0 and undefeated, you know, adrenaline dump, blowing their wad, blowing their gas tank early. This guy's been the distance six times. He's 6-0 and in decision. And um, I think he's got all the tools to keep this fight on the feet and win a striking battle. Uh, St. Denis has shown us the guy's about as durable as they come, you know, and, and since taking that life-changing beating to Zaleski, um, found two wins of his own, doesn't seem to be going downhill. Um, but just like Petrovic, just like Grant Dawson, I don't see him winning this fight if he does not mix in any grappling. I think if he is forced to stay on the feet, I think Bonfine's clearly the better fighter, and uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen here. I th- I've seen enough from Bonfine to know that he's going to keep this fight standing. Might even might even land some takedowns of his own and find you know find some top time. But uh, I, I think he I think he stuffs the takedowns, um, and I think Saint Denis just gets stuck at range with the better striker and, and loses a pretty clear decision. Um, the over this is set at an over one and a half, which I think is pretty crazy. Um, I think Terrence McKinney had a whole lot to do with Bonfine's last fight hitting the under one and a half. Um, and you throw in a you throw in an opponent like uh, Saint Denis, who's been the distance, or um, who's you know a grappler and and likes to stall time if he's having success. And and Bonfine, who went the distance his last three fights before, um, even on the contender series, you know, and so. Uh, I think there's a good chance it goes to 15 minutes and I'm going to take the minus 350 for a much better number. Yeah, I like it. I also like the over one and a half. I'm pretty sure that's sitting at like plus 180. Minus 180. <laughs> minus 180. Yeah, minus 180. And yeah, yeah I, like, I, like I like that look too. Okay, so for my best bet, this is going to throw you off because I, I didn't talk about it at all prior to starting this pod. Um, and I don't think that you're going to agree with it. So double whammy right here. It is fight doesn't go the distance in the main event. And here's my reasoning why. So I think these guys match up perfect for violence. Sean goes to decisions with guys who also go to decision. And Abus is just not that guy. Yeah. I take a look at Sean's last eight opponents. Um, six of those went to decision. Imavov, he's had a decision in four of his last six. Cannoneer, he's had a decision in five of his last six. Jack Hermanson, Decision in four of his last five. Do I need to explain your right hall? Uh, Christoph Jocko, <laughs> decision in six, uh, all six of his last UFC yeah. fights. Jack Martian, decision in three of his last four UFC fights. His finishes, on the other hand, Alex Pereira, four finishes in five UFC fights. Brendan Allen, five finishes in six UFC fights. Abus is much more like these guys. I think that Sean fights to his competition, and Abus is the type of guy who's going to kill or be killed in these first three rounds. So he's never been five rounds. Abus hasn't. He's going to fight a guy who's standing right in front of him. You know, he's not somebody who's going to drag the fight out by making him work with – with grappling, I, at least I don't think so early, maybe later in the rounds when Abu starts to tail off. But then that's when the Sean Strickland finishing upside comes into play. We don't know what Abu looks like past 15 minutes. He could drop the fuck off. The only time that he's gone to decision um, in the in his past few fights, one of them was a two round fight that doesn't count, really. You know, <laughs> it was like an exhibition or something. And then the other one was against Sayu B. Sai, um, who we've seen in, in Bellator pretty good you know he's a pretty good fighter he's long he's rangy and uh you know it was still only a three-round fight i think i think that these guys are going to go head to head and i think sean strickland's last few fights have kind of are are the reason why this is lying the way it is i personally think that sean fights to his competition and abus much lines up much better with Pereira and allen than he does the six guys that sean's gone to decision with so Again, you know, it's my 185ers. I do this quite a bit. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I do this quite a bit, but I like a fight doesn't go the distance as my best bet. I haven't made a play on it, and I don't think that there's going to be enough people on this to move this line against me, you know? So yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for all the props to drop, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be getting it at like minus uh, 105 maybe, maybe something like that. So if that's the case, I love even money for this fight doesn't go to decision, especially with all the unknowns of uh, Abus. Um, yeah. So yeah, fight doesn't go to decision is my my best bet. What do you think about that? 
I was just about to say, I know you love the middleweight unders, always <laughs> feeding for them. <laughs> no, but uh, I do think uh, Boos has clear finishing upside early in this fight. And um, I think Sean, um, like you said, all the other fighters, you know, they're durable guys. I think there's a world where a boost drops off a cliff um, and, and Sean does see a finish as well. So I, uh, I technically don't hate it and it's not, it's not like you're laying minus 150 or minus 160 for it. And, and not to mention, not that I'm saying that a boost has any type of chin problems, but he can get caught. You know, Absolutely. we at least don't even have to wonder about it. He has been caught before. And so, yeah, that's another that's another thing that I really like. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I don't hate it one bit, man. You got 25 minutes to cash that ticket. Um, Demarius Magulov, my best bet. I got to trust my gut, man. Uh, I've got two units on him at minus 130, and uh, I'm not cashing out like (laughs) some of these other guys. Uh, I plan on trusting my gut and doubling down on him at minus 110, man. I I truly think if you take away that Armin fight, um, you take away the possible retirement talks, and this is a minus 200, minus 250 type of line, man. You know, the guys were running to bet him at plus 180 against Armin. This was the dark horse of 155 by everybody with the 24-1 and record. Like, And now we're just ready to to switch up because the guy might might want to call it quits. At minus 110, man, I, I got, I've got to trust my gut there. And, and it's a similar style of fight. And yes, styles make fights. It's a Dawson brings the style of fight that did just beat Tamir. But I think we're talking about a, a different caliber of grappler uh, here between Armin and Dawson. Um, we're two fights removed from Dawson gassing out bad, getting 10 aided by Ricky Glenn. And I do feel that there's, a world where Demir makes him work hard for those takedowns where they don't come as easy as they did to Gordon and to Madsen. And I think there's a time where Demir actually finds himself on top. Like the Moises, the Alvarez fights, the, the Joel Alvarez, the Rafael Alves, like he wins those by getting top time. Like, I don't think it's out of the question for him to potentially wind up on top of Grant Dawson here. And if this fight is on the feet for any amount of time, I think that's the clearest advantage anybody has in this fight is the advantage Demir has on the feet. Um, and I think if he forces Grant Dawson back, the shots are going to be sloppy. They're going to be coming off the back foot. And I think he sees them a whole lot clearer, man. Uh, I hate that the public's not agreeing with my confidence um, on Demir. Maybe there's some information I don't know out there, but I capped Demir at minus 165, minus 170. So for it to be at minus 110, I got to trust my gut, man. So I plan on, I plan on probably having, I think about 2.6 units on Demir come Saturday. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, like I said, I might find a spot on it, but it, it'll be treading lightly for me, but I, I do like the confidence in it. That's what really is making me want to play it is because I don't know. I just, when you get this feeling, I, I enjoy at least getting a little bit on it just to, to ride that wave with you. You know, it's kind of, it's not as bad as this. Like, don't blow this out as much proportion. But it's like when we got Islam at minus one eighty five against Charles Oliveira, when we're used to seeing these minus three and four hundreds next to minus one sixty five is what I minus one exactly. You know, it's like this is kind of what it reminds me of. This is this is like this is a clear winnable fight for him, and we're, we're about, getting a very generous line. How about Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen at minus one forty five? Exactly. It's a thing like that where it's, uh, you know, I just, but it almost feels like it's too good to be true at at the same time, you know, like there has to be something you're missing. Right. Like somebody at ATT has more information that I just don't have. And they're, they're to the betting window on Grand Dawson. Uh, And I I can't think of the last couple fights, but there's been a couple weeks ago where I was on the opposite side of the line movement for like two weeks in a row on pretty some confident plays and, they were bad bets, man. I think Dustin Jacoby and Merzikhanov was one of them, and Merzikhanov puts a clinic on him pretty much. So it does worry me, but uh, it's, I think I got a very high-level fighter in Demir to back. Uh, so moving on to our quick pick section of the podcast, we start off the night with an absolute banger. I, don't, I was actually thinking earlier, I would trade these first two fights for the first two fights on the main card. I'd switch them. Yeah, uh, so I, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a it's a lightweight Guram Kutataladze versus Elves Brenner. Um, yeah, I'm all over Guram Kutataladze. 
not a lot of finishing upside and i think that elves is pretty tough so like you know it's tough i don't even i don't even really love parlaying him just because i don't think he gets the finish you know that was my worry um i hate that he might not get the finish um but i i think aguram on his best night is 80 to 85 percent here so i uh i did parlay him and, and guram's gonna be the pick uh, Alexander Romanov versus Blago Ivanov. To be honest with you, I was quite shocked to hear, you know, that you were kind of favoring Alexander Romanov with me. It, it kind of seems like Blago is getting the love this week, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, this man shows up at, at 235 on the scale like he did against Tibura. Um, I might get a bet on Alexander Romanov. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Like I said, it's kind of he's finished or bust. So you yeah. got to just bet him inside the distance. Hopefully. I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure it's not much better. 25 points better than his money line, but it's 25 <laughs> yeah. points better. You might as well right. take it. Um, moving down all the way to featherweight, Joe Anderson Brito versus Weston Wilson. Um, I like Brito, man. So I, I think he's powerful, fun to watch. Um, I'm, I've got uh, Brito. Yeah, I've got a, I've got Joe Anderson Brito as well. And it's like a minus 1400 favorite, I think. Uh I would really like to find a way to to get Brito inside the distance on my card because I think it's a clear mismatch I'd like to take advantage of. Uh, Ivana Petrovic, Luana Carolina. I don't know if I get there, but I think this line's wide. Uh, Luana Carolina's my dog this week. Double the fights. Six fights in the UFC, man. Striking advantage. Let's, I might let a half unit go. Plus 185 yeah. on Luana. No, I'm. Uh, I think I'm with you. I like Luana Carolina. She busted the uh, Loopy. Loopy. Yep. She spoiled that party too. You got her like plus two hundred against Loopy. I'd like. I'd really like plus two hundred, but I might have to settle for plus one eighty five. But like, okay, how would you line Ivana versus Loopy right now? Probably Loopy minus two hundred. Right. Know. So like, why isn't this enough value for Luana? Right. I know. I don't know. Loopy doesn't I might, have, I might have all three ladies game, fights. Right? On I might have all three ladies fights on my card this week. <laughs> I don't hate it, man. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think I'm t- taking Luana Carolina as well. We move uh, up to the featherweight women's division. Yana Santos versus Carol Rosa. Um, is this our first disagreement? I think so. so yeah, the first disagreement. I'm going Yana Santos here by by cage push. By cage push. Uh, I think she has a lot more success at 135 with that than she will here at 145. Um, I, I, I got Carol Hosa here. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of good things for her. Kevin Lee, Fakradinov, I think this could be on your main card, um, but it's a good prelim uh, main event here. I just don't think the UFC did any uh, favors for Kevin Lee on his, on his comeback. You know, I think this is a pretty tough uh, welterweight fight. And I think he can emulate the uh, the style RDA did, man. So I got I got Renat to probably win a very dominant decision, maybe a late finish. Um, yeah, I've got Renat to win as well. I really want to bet Kevin Lee, but it's it's impossible to trust him. You're you're guessing if you're betting yeah. him really because you just don't know who's going to show up. But damn, him only being thirty years old, all that experience, all that knowledge, he could come in. Um, and look like who he was always supposed to be whenever he originally came into the UFC. So, yeah, Renat's the pick. Um, moving up to the middleweight division, uh, Nurselton Rudzibov versus Bruno Ferreira. Um, I tell you what, man, I need to look at this fight a little bit more, but Rudzibov, 40 fucking fights, and he Six needs to... Six foot four? Yeah, dude, he needs to get the fight to the mat, and Bruno knockout artist undefeated like i don't know dude this is like another one where it's like uh like chris curtis when he came in you know he's just so experienced that that alone um then you got size and kind of ferrera being somewhat one-dimensional um yeah i don't know i'm going rude zibov for for now but i might actually like find a bet if i continue to like him watch it watch a little bit more tape i think i'm gonna side with you on nurseltan ruzibov um i don't I think there's potential on the record being a little bit fraudulent at the same time. There's a lot of fights, but they're not the highest level of fights. Um, but Bruno Ferrer is going from getting like a, a five foot nine 
swinging bombs, Al Hassak Razan, to a six foot four guy who's going to try to grapple him. I, I just think it's completely flipping style, size, and the public esteemed Bruno since he opened out of Pickham. So uh, the odds makers are oftentimes more right than the public is, you know, and they had this opened up as a Pickham. So I'm going to side with you with the underdog, man. Moving. Moving down, 155, Benoit Saint-Denis taking on Ismail Bonfim. Um, I think the Bonfim brothers are legit. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Koski brothers were in, all oh, they look good. Then the Basharat brothers came, and they look better. I think the Bonfim brothers are even better than the Basharat brothers. Um, I think there's a ton of experience there, the skill sets there. Uh, I think he gets a – I think he, I think he's going to get a decision win because Benoit Saint Denis is so tough. But I think it's going to be a, a pretty clear decision. You, yeah, you're uh, more confident on him than I am. I actually think that this could could be a buy low spot for BSD here. You know, yeah. I think that it's a tough tough look to shake that Elizu Zaleski dos Santos fight. Like it was just crazy how much of a beating he could take. But as far as his bounce back with two back to back round two finishes, I do think that he's um he could he could be a tougher fight than what I think a lot of people are expecting. And I, I was kind of surprised to see that Ishmael was getting uh Benoit here. I, I just think that it's a a difficult matchup and I'm I'm kind of surprised to see how much con- how much confidence people have in Ishmael still being kind of unproven. But I'm with you. As far as what we've seen, they do look pretty good. So uh, I'll give him the edge in this one, but I think Benoit covers his price tag, oddly enough. Um, We move down to the women's flyweight, Ariana Lipsky taking on Melissa Gatto. Uh, Yeah, I I don't have much faith in Lipsky. um, And, you know, I, I think Gatto should win this fight. I'm not thrilled with the price tag, but I think she should win this fight. Yeah, I um, I got Gato at minus one eighty five, um, because I saw the line moving and I was like, all right, let me do some tape, dig into it. When I decided, like, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger. She's minus two ten, so I, I still did it, um, because I see clear advantages. I think she can easily hang with Lipsky on the feet. Lipsky's been finished for a girl on the feet. I think Gato can hang with her there, um, but Gato Gato knows to shoot takedowns, and I think there's massive discrepancy on the mat here. I think there's I think Gato could finish her on the mat, man. Then we move on to the welterweight division. Max Griffin, Michael Morales, your fight of the night. <laughs> Potential to be a banger, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with Michael Morales, but I told you I don't have a read on him right now, but something just tells me like the athleticism's there, the skill set's there. There's a lot of things physically that the guy's gifted with that could that could still win him some fights at this level right now. And so I think he's gonna get by Max Griffin, but I think it's think it's gonna be a test. Um yeah, man. I, I've got Max Griffin here. I love that he I know that he's coming off like a really close split decision win over Tim Means, but he's four and one in his last five, and he had already been in the UFC for over 10 fights at that when before that streak started. So man, you know, I know that he's kind of aging a little bit, but it does seem to me like he's finally finding that rhythm in the UFC. And this is a, this is a great, great fight. I'm, I'm happy that uh, we're getting this fight for sure. And so I've got Max Griffin here. I think he's going to cover that price tag and some, uh, we move up to the co-main event. Demir is Magulov taking on Grant Dawson. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you, man. I think Demir is Magulov is the, certainly the more proven fighter and uh, I, I think that he's a, a better a better fighter all around just more well-rounded man than grant dawson so i expect him to get the win here yeah i think i've talked enough about demir and, and how i feel about this fight he's the clear side for me and sean strickland versus abuse i think we're going to end the night on a disagreement i am going to take the established number five six whatever middleweight in the world um, I think it's too big of a jump up for him, uh, for a boost just right now. I like Sean to drag the fight out late. Um, I think he's just going to take over man and, and do what Sean does best when, win a, win a decision. Uh, 
Yeah, so I'm going to take the number 48 fighter in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll pick a a boost for the sake of the Quick Picks podcast, but the real play is the under in this fight. I I like the fight doesn't go to decision. I was looking at it again. I'm looking for like a minus 130. I might even play the under four and a half at minus 110, something like that. Um, That's uh, that's how I'm looking at this one. I think one of these guys get out there. A boost is going to kill or be killed so he's he's my side i think that he could catch him early sean you know he's he's been known to not have the smartest defense against very dangerous strikers and so i i could uh i could see a boost catching him just being as as athletic as he is so yeah i'm I'm going with a boost here nice man that's 12 fights for us a pretty solid fight night to be honest with you there are some fights that i think are going to be absolute bangers Hopefully we, we talk the best of them. Hopefully we talk some of the, the better bets on the card as well. And, uh, man, appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. Peace.